Welcome to the Looper Podcast, the show where we make the rounds with interesting golf personalities. Here's your host, Eric Payton. Hey everyone, thank you for tuning into the show today. As always, I really appreciate you downloading this episode. If you haven't already, please go leave a five-star review for us on Apple Podcasts or wherever you subscribe. That would really help the show out. Today's episode is with former PGA Tour player Jay Delsing. He's currently got his own ESPN golf radio show that's out of St. Louis on Sunday mornings, so be sure to check that out. If you're not in that area, you can always download it as a podcast, and I'll be sure to link that in the show notes. This was such a fun episode to record. Jay is a great guy, and he has a lot of really interesting stories to share from his years on tours and just being involved with the game of golf. So, without further delay, here's the episode. Introduce yourself, and we'll get going. Hi, this is Jay Delfing. Uh, I'm from St. Louis, Missouri, and uh, I've been a professional golfer since 1984. Awesome. So how did you start playing golf? Uh, you know what? I uh, I grew up in a sports family. My dad was a professional baseball player. He played uh, 10 years in the major leagues and yeah. 20 years as a professional, and I uh, had just always wanted to be a professional athlete. And, uh, yeah. so I was, <clears throat> excuse me, all about sports. And, uh, I wound up playing golf because, um, we didn't have a, a lot of the select programs like our kids and, uh, mm-hmm. they're offered now. And so we played church league, uh, baseball, and then, you know, maybe a playoff game or two. And then that was it. And that just wasn't nearly enough for me. One practice a week and one game enough, uh, mm-hmm. one game a week wasn't enough for me. So, yeah, my dad had played golf and every once in a while would, you know, be gone on a Sunday morning and I'd be, or, uh, you know, or a Sunday afternoon, whenever he played. And, um, I would, uh, one day I just kind of tagged along and, um, <clears throat> it just somewhere along the line, the game just kind of got me. And so I started caddying and, uh, doing all sorts of stuff. It, it, it's just, uh, the, go- the game of golf has, Eric, has just been spectacularly great to me my family my children it has just been an incredible gift and i'm so lucky to have found it and it found me yeah yeah so your dad played major league baseball for 10 12 years or so and and you did 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 you ever think about playing baseball oh yeah baseball is my my first love of, okay. of my life i absolutely i still love it i uh, i'm a uh, I'm just a huge fan of the game in general. I, I love the Cardinals just because I grew up here, but I also love, you know, like I said, my dad won the World Series with the Yankees in 1949, and okay. I'm, a, I'm just a gigantic baseball fan. When I started playing the tour in the early 80s, I, I would go to all of the different uh, stadiums and, you know, and uh, watch games and experience those uh, different ballparks. And Actually, in the uh, I'm a, a hockey fan as well, and so I, I would go to a lot of the um, hockey rinks as well and watch the uh, experience of different, you know, the Montreal Forum and the Maple Leaf Garden and the Boston Garden and all those old, cool, old places were really, really fun. Yeah, yeah. And so it sounds like I was kind of looking at your family, and you've kind of got a lot of a lot of athletes in your family. Is it your nephew who played in the MLS and was a, was a great player there? Yeah. My ne- yeah. 
my nephew Taylor Twillman, he's the lead analyst for ESPN now, and he was uh, played in the MLS. I think he was the MVP in the MLS in 2005, and he's doing a really nice job for ESPN right now. But yeah, his his dad played in the NASL, which is the North American Soccer League, and also played in the MISL, Major Indoor Soccer League. So we got soccer golf, baseball, we got a lot of different bases covered over here, so to speak. Yeah, yeah, sounds like you guys got a lot of uh, a lot of good athletes in the family, so. Um, so it, when you were in, like, high school, kind of starting to think about a career or, or where to go to school, um, what what were you looking for in a school? Because you eventually go end up going to US, UCLA to play golf, um, but what was kind of around that decision? How did you decide to go there? Well, we didn't have any money, so I was going somewhere where I got a scholarship. You know, first and foremost, I wanted to go where the weather was better because I was just tired of this lousy, um, as we're experiencing now, this crappy Midwestern weather. So um, I actually sent out a lot of, uh, like, almost like personal resumes. I was fortunate to be on the cover of the Gateway Golfer magazine when I was a kid, and I sent uh, a couple magazines out and some resumes and I was a good student you know I went to a a, a Jesuit kind of a prep high school Um, my parents sent me there and um, so I had a good GPA I had things like that that worked in my favor and you know that it was really basically up to me to figure out how I was going to go to college because my parents didn't have any money and you know we were trying to figure out how to pay for it so Mm -hmm. my main goal at that age you know, was to try to figure out a way to get college paid for. Yeah. And then the UCLA opportunity came along. I was fortunate. Eric, I, I almost won the U.S. Junior when I was 16. And okay. you, know, you got to remember, we were talking about 1976. There's no internet. There's no cell phones. There's no, you know, mass communication like yeah. we have in today's world. And so everything was done through post, you know, through postal yeah. services and mail and things like that, phone calls. Mm-hmm. And so, um, <clears throat> I remember spending hours and hours putting this thing together and then I mailed out over 150 of my resumes oh. to any colleges and universities that, yeah. uh, might be interested. Yeah. 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 So it, it, the, the U S junior in 76, um, where was that? And, and what was that event like? You said you almost won it. Did, w- what yeah, I lost in the I either lost in the semifinals or the quarterfinals. I can't remember. I lost to the venture winner, a buddy of mine named Don Herter. Don is still in the golf business. He is a director of golf out at um, Castle Pines out in Denver. Oh yeah, but uh, I lost to him in twenty in twenty one holes, and, um, and that that basically you know there wasn't an AJGA. Like I said, there was no mm-hmm. internet. There's no golf. Just really wasn't much of anything at the time, yeah. and so. Um, you know, if you did well in, in, you know, the U.S. junior, uh, aside from the U.S. amateur, which, you know, there's not a lot of 16 year olds playing in it, mm-hmm. um, was basically, uh, the next best tournament to play in and having almost won that, you know, really gave me, I, I got kind of tossed into that blue chip category. Yeah. And so I had a lot of really fun choices on where I could go to school. Yeah. Now, when you got to UCLA, did you have instant success there uh, playing college golf? I guess it probably depends on what you qualify. I, I played every tournament. 
yeah. all four years. I, I was, uh, you, you know, so I would say from that standpoint, yes, I was a two-time All-American. Um, we had probably, perhaps, arguably one of the best golf team, college golf teams of all time. Mm-hmm. Well, I was on a team with Corey Pavin, Steve Pate, uh, Duffy Waldorf, Tom Pernice, and I. So we, yeah. we won an awful lot of events and were number one in the in the country for a couple of years in a row and, and yeah. did some really great stuff. But, um, yeah, you know, it's basically a learning process. I thought I was really good. I didn't know how good I was, Eric, and then mm. I'm playing. You know, Corey Pavin, my senior year in high school, Corey Pavin was the uh, collegiate player of the year oh, at yeah. UCLA. Yeah. And so and I get, you know, paired with him, and it was a great barometer on, on how to, you know, check yourself and try to get better and compete and, you know, see what you can do. Yeah, yeah. So what would you say is is maybe your highlight from – college uh maybe both on and off the course oh getting a degree from ucla is outstanding i mm-hmm. mean it's one of the top 15 universities in the country it's uh it's just been terrific i mean what would i say would be the mm, boy I, I don't know i always wanted to be a college all-american and win tournaments and i won i did that and so that was kind of a goal that got checked off but mm-hmm. man i don't know i don't i really don't look back in those years as any and things like that it's just all part of uh you know the past experience and you know kind of takes you to where you are today it, it, uh just again reiterating extremely fortunate man to uh to have found golf and and to have played this great game for so long and to be able to support a family and you know, hell, I'm 59 years old. I still have a job. I still get to play golf. I have a business where I do corporate entertainment, hospitality. I, yeah. you know, I have a radio show. Just some really still fun stuff that the game is just keeps providing. Yeah, yeah. Now, there were all those huge names that were on that UCLA team. Was there anything that you uh, kind of learned from those guys in college that then helped you? Uh, make the jump to the pros. Oh man, for sure. I mean, you got to remember. I start, I grew up in North County in St. Louis. We, mm-hmm. uh, I started playing golf with my mom's clubs. I didn't even have a full set of clubs until <laughs> I was like my junior year in high school. And and um, he, 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 like I said, I mean, Tiger Woods has not hit the scene yet. Yeah. Jack Nicklaus and Arnold Palmer absolutely, you know, did amazing things for the game, but. The Tiger took it to a whole different level. So yeah. when I was playing, I mean, we didn't have three wedges in the bag. Everybody just had a pitching wedge and a sand wedge, and we just, you know, there wasn't technology advancements. I'm, I'm six foot five, mm. and I had a huge growth spurt when I was in high school. And I was still playing with, you know, standard length clubs, and it wasn't until I was playing in the Missouri Amateur and losing in the. I think I was medalist for the Missouri Amateur one year and then got lost in the semifinals or something and, and until I saw my swing on TV because we didn't have video either. I mean, yeah. not, not in the circles I was hanging out, and at least. And, and I I saw my swing and I realized, man, these clubs are just too short for your body. you gotta oh, get, yeah. you got to make some changes. And so, uh, but, but watching guys like Steve Pate and Corey Pilgrim just had – some of the best short games ever. These guys mm-hmm. can just chip and pitch and putt like like nobody's business. And, um, you know, you learn a lot of different things uh, that you don't even know you're learning while you're going through it. And yeah. so, man, I learned every single day. We played golf every single day. We 
tried to go to school as little as possible and, yeah. you know, still, you know, graduate and get degrees and things like that. So, um, yeah, I, I mean, I, I couldn't even begin to start to tell you how much I learned from those guys. Yeah. Yeah. Now those guys would have, a couple of those guys would have turned pro what a, a year or so before you, um, yeah, Pernice was a year ahead of me, uh, two years ahead. Pavin and Pernice were both two years ahead of Steve Payton. We were the same age. Duffy was a, uh, a year behind us, but Duffy redshirted. Oh, okay. And Pavin redshirted a year, too. So Pernice graduated first, and Pavin came back for my junior year, and that's when we are, That's when we really basically put the UCLA program on the map. I yeah. mean, we... Um, I don't know how many tournaments. I think I won three tournaments. I think uh, Paven won six. Um, we had a really interesting thing happen at the um, uh, Pac-10s. Um, you take five golfers, hmm. and you have to play uh, 36 holes, and four of the five scores count. Okay. Okay, so you all, you always got to toss one score out. Steve Pate got food poisoning the night before our 36-hole oh, no. round. Yeah. And so he couldn't play at all. Oh, no. And we we had a 37-stroke lead after two days counting the four players wow. that, we put, that we counted. Yeah. Wow. Crazy. Yeah. You know, it's just crazy. So we had uh, – the thing that I learned mostly about the, the whole California experience and things like that was that um, there were golfers that no one's ever heard of that were so good – and we're such a part of that team mm -hmm. that never made it to the PGA Tour. Mm. You know, that were, that were great um, um, youngsters and, and had some great records and things like that where they just, and they, and they played well, and then, you know, they just could not get to the next level yeah. for a variety of reasons. And uh, I had no clue that there were that many good players in the world. Yeah. And now, Eric, you can multiply that, you know, 20-fold yeah, because yeah. the PGA Tour is the world tour, and these guys come from all over the place, come to our universities at early ages and things like that to get out of their homeland and to try to get on tour, and then, you know, gosh, it's just, it's just good players everywhere. Yeah. Now, now, what do you think is was the difference at the time between those players that you just, all these players that were so great that no one had ever heard of, and the guys on your team that that we just listed off as Corey Pavin, Steve Pate, Tom Pernice Jr., and Duffy Waldorf and yourself. Uh, you, know, you, know what I'll, you know what I'll say? I'll say, um, with all due respect to those guys, there's there's an intangible hmm. that is, is, is created out of heart and guts and desire and determination mm -hmm. that you can't ever measure. Yeah. And that, you know, when I'm if I'm helping a, a student or something like that nowadays, mm -hmm. or seeing them, you know, th this is going to sound weird, but wealthy kids predominantly don't make it. Oh yeah, because they're lacking some of these components that I just mentioned. Yeah, and it, you can't underestimate how powerful it is to have an intention, a personal intention to change your situation. Yeah. Yeah. And what I mean by that is, is if you, if you're going up in a, in a certain way and you're aiming for this certain goal and there are more things that work here than just you wanting to do it, it's because you're socioeconomic, 
your family, who, what, whatever that looks like, mm-hmm. those sort of things are ridiculously powerful. Yeah. I mean, you can move mountains with that stuff, Eric. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, that makes sense. And so that's what I'll say, that's what I'll say the difference is. Yeah. Okay. All right. Uh, now the, the college game is, is so different than the pro game in that there's kind of a, there's a team element to it, right? There's kind of a fraternity that it's, it's us against everyone else. Right. Um, when you made the jump to the PGA tour, was there still that a little bit of bond between those guys who were on the UCLA team, um, who were still competing against each other, but, but was, did you kind of stay in touch with those guys and kind of share thoughts and, and what was that? I guess, relationship like with your teammates moving forward once you were on the PGA Tour? Oh, but you, it's, you got to remember, so playing in the, the U.S. Junior and playing all these things, I have been friends with Brad Fax and Billy Andre mm. go up and down the list for 40 years. Yeah. We've basically been running into the same <laughs> golf courses in the same circle since we've been 16. Yeah, yeah. Good couples, you, you name it, all of those guys, we all did the same thing. Mm-hmm. They're all facing the same thing. We're all after the same thing, all playing in the same tournaments from all sorts of different walks of life. Yeah. 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 So for sure, there's, there's some, there's, uh, there's some strong friendships that are made that are last a lifetime. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Was there anything about the, the pro game once you turned pro that, that maybe surprised you that, that, um, yeah, how good everybody was. Yeah, yeah. You know, when you're in college and you, you become a good player, you show up at the golf course and you're, you know, you're thinking, well, I'm going to win this tournament, mm-hmm. you know? And, mm-hmm. um, you know, there's there's there, there's just nobody on the PGA Tour that's not good. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and, and I mean, at a high level good. I mean, when I can remember trying to get a, uh, a sponsor exemption for one of the tournaments and was talking to somebody and I, they said, well, you know, what have you done? And I said, well, I, you know, just got out of college. I was a two-time All-American. I, I did this, I did that. I won these tournaments and they're like, yeah, everybody's done that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know what I mean? And it's true. Think about it. You know, all of a sudden everybody has done that. Mm-hmm. And yeah. so, um, you're swimming in some, in some rough water, man. Yeah. Yeah. Um, was was there one tournament that that you really enjoyed more than the rest? Um, I guess as when you were on the PGA Tour. I always loved the Memphis event. I can't I can't even tell you why the golf course really suited my eye. I I hold many of the scoring records there. I, I did not win the event, but um, one Sunday I shot sixty one there. Uh, and and um, yeah, just I've had just it's one of those things. Every hole looks pretty damn good to my eye, you know, mm. and it's not, it, it, uh, that's kind of unusual. As you know, as a golfer, there's always a couple holes where you're like, ugh, just don't really like the look of this. Yep. I don't know, you know, I've got I've to have a good strategy on how I'm going to try to play this hole. But at Memphis, um, yeah, I finished second there. A couple of times I had a lot of opportunities to win, and it just, it just never happened. But uh, it was really, really close and really, really fun. Yeah, yeah. Um, now there's, there's a tournament, uh, the, the waste management now is, is just kind of exploded in the last, oh, probably 15, 20 years. Um, but but you've actually got a hole in one on 
number 16, the the infamous party hole, stadium hole. Um, can you tell yep. me about never that, forget it when that happened and and what you remember about that moment? Yeah, it was uh, the same hole location that Tiger made his on. The, the fly stick was located in the front left portion of the green, and uh, I hit a nine iron. I don't know what Tiger hit. He probably hit a sand wedge or something. Yeah. But um, um, I can just remember that uh, standing on that tee is so much fun because people are, you know, they're, they're yelling at you while you're swinging, and you can hear bets going on. They're like, I bet he misses a green. You know, it's just an entirely different yeah. um sense from the from what regular tour life is like but it's much more the way i grew up playing golf you know it was yeah. much more of that you know it was just more of a uh a fun thing like that and i when i when i hit the shot and and obviously it was a good shot having it go in the hole you know it takes quite a bit of luck yeah. but um i remember it going in the hole and the the way the the crowd reacted the hair on my arm stood up it was one of those things that you know i'd never heard that kind of cheering and, and stuff for me before. And so it was really a special moment. Yeah. And how has that, what was that uh, hole like? What was it in 91 when you hit that, that hole in one? I don't know what it was. It was somewhere in the nineties. Yeah. It seems so, like a hundred years ago. But. So, so what was the, uh, I guess the atmosphere like compared to today? Was it pretty comparable as far as a, a yeah, a I mean, spot? for what we knew, Yes, for what we knew at the time, it was extremely, you know, it was way out there. People were drinking all night, and and um, the partying was um, was legendary because there was a band called Duck Soup that just gained this massive reputation from because, the, you know, the, nothing like this had ever been done before. Mm-hmm. And the Phoenix Open is, you know, Phoenix is a really, you know, a great area, and what happened was um, all of a sudden non-golf people, were coming because the party was so great yeah yeah and so yeah i mean so this was something that um had never been seen on the on the tour before and um you know as we as i look back at it now eric we really didn't know what the hell we were experiencing you know we were just oh, kind of yeah. watching it and wondering and you know and now as we look back we're like man that's that was kind of how this whole thing began yeah yeah wow um, is, is there something from your career that you look back at uh, on the PJ tour and that you look back at as a highlight as your, your favorite moment, maybe, um, from being on the tour? Oh man. Uh, you know, probably shooting 61 on a Sunday at Memphis. I started today probably off in 40th or 50th place. And I wound okay. up finishing, I think I wound up finishing like fourth or fifth or something like that. But uh, that was one of those special moments just in, in as a sportsman and a lover of, of most sports that, you know, you don't get those sort of days very often. Yeah. I've, I've had the sort of game. I wasn't the most consistent player in the world, but I had some really, really low rounds in me. Mm-hmm. You know, I shot a 62 at one, um, one day at, uh, uh, the BC open, you know, in, in a rain in rain and things like that. And so, those sort of things, those sort of rounds stick out to you because I had plenty of those 75s as well that just kind of, you know, it's like taking your car and putting it in reverse. Yeah. You know, when you shoot 75 on the yeah. PGA Tour because everybody's going low. But um, I, I just, uh, you know what, Eric? I, uh, I was a kid. I, I loved the experience. I, um, I certainly dreamed of having a better career. I dreamed of winning major tournaments. I dreamed of of competing a little more and that didn't happen um, for me. 
But, I mean, if you were to come up to me now and say, here's what you're going to get, you're going to get, you know, X amount of starts in the PGA, PGA Tour and the, in the PGA Tour tournaments like the Nationwide and things like that, well over a 1,000 of those, you're going to do this, you're going to do that, I'd be like, where do I sign? Yeah. You know, I'm absolutely so fortunate. I, uh, I loved uh, what I did. I played because I loved the game. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and, and now, you know, my mission, like yours with this podcast, we're just trying to grow the game and get people involved and let them understand what a cool, what a cool sport golf is. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. So can you tell me a little bit about what you're doing right now with, um, with your, with your radio show? Um, are you doing some teaching too? Just sporadically, I'll teach a few, a, a handful of people here and there. I, I'm very selective uh, with with that. I, it's not really a way I've ever foreseen me spending my time. But when some of these some good young players come along, I, um, you know, um, I'm glad to try to just give them a little information that they might, you know, not have or mm-hmm. might not get yet. You know, just give it to them a little earlier. So. Mm-hmm. That, that's kind of the way I look at that. Um, you know, I have a radio show on 101 ESPN. It's on Sunday mornings. Here comes my plug. Yeah. Get ready. Yeah, um, go for it. It's on Sunday mornings, 8.30 to 9.30 Central Time, uh, 101 ESPN app. Okay. You can also go to my website, uh, jdelsingolf.com. I've got all of those archived uh, there. I had some really cool, I'll tell you, Eric, we did a, a recap uh, show for wrapping up our first year in 2019. Mm. And I was going over some of the interviews and trying to figure out, you know, who, who are we going to have as our, our recap show. And we wound up having to do two recap shows because we had such great guests. We had Brett Hall and we had David Faraday and we had Chris Carpenter and we had um, Jim Cavanaugh, who's the CEO of Worldwide Technologies and uh, Taylor Twerman, who's my nephew and also, mm-hmm. you know, ESPN, uh, host of the MLS Rewind and things like that. Um, yeah. uh, and we just had too many great guests to, um, you know, to, to only have one recap show. So yeah. what we did was, uh, so all of those shows are on my site. They're also on Apple Music, Spotify, all the various uh, places, uh, podcasts. Um, uh, you can you can find them all podcasted. And, um, uh, yeah, so I'm, I'm doing a little bit of that. Uh, really excited about this tournament coming to North County. It's coming to the golf course that I grew up at. Yeah, called yeah. Norwood Hills Country Club. Yeah, the the Ascension Charity Classic mm-hmm. is uh, these, these Ascension folks are just a great. They're a Catholic based organization. Yeah, last year they they donated two billion dollars. Okay, in healthcare. To to the sick, the needy, the poor, yeah, and you know they're going to do it again this year. They're just a fantastic organization. They are the the title sponsor, okay. and uh, you know what? They are just they're just terrific. Yeah, yeah and no. so they're bringing the event to to St. Louis, yeah, for the next four years, and um, yeah, so we're going to get more golf in St. Louis. The PGA Championship was a grand slam for yeah. the town and yeah. for golf, and. Um, yeah, it's just really cool. I have a business. I do corporate entertainment and hospitality also, Eric, where I okay. take organizations, set up programs. I take people to play golf. I have access to some really great golf courses around the country, and so that's kind of fun. And um, Anything golf-related, really, but is, um, is, you know, kind of... I know, I know. Um, yeah, um, 
Yeah, so you've you've got a lot of a lot of things still going in the golf industry. One of the things you you said there is that you had Chris Carpenter on your uh, on your show, and yeah. I'm gonna have to go back and listen to that one. I've got a little bit of a Chris Carpenter uh, golf story. Is that my dad and my mom were uh, down in uh, Scottsdale in February of 2000 and uh, would have been 2013, and I went down okay. and visited them there and my dad and i went went and played true north um nice and he was a he was a huge cardinal fan and yeah we're, we're driving to the driving range and the opposite direction like going back to the clubhouse chris carpenter drives in a in a golf cart past us the opposite way and my dad wasn't even looking and i said dad that was chris carpenter and uh chris carpenter I think he pitched in game six of, uh, you might need to help me. It was the 04 World Series or 06, whatever. whatever. Uh, the 2011, maybe? Oh, was it 11? Okay. Well, and my dad went to that game and saw him win the World Series, and that was one of his, his highlights in sports. And so we turned yeah. around and went yeah. back and, and met Chris Carpenter, and he was just the nicest guy. My dad just walked up, said hi, and... I uh, loved watching you pitch and hope you can get back in, in the game. And then, then he went out, he was like the tea time ahead or one or two ahead of us. So, um, yeah, that was just a cool yeah. moment with my dad and with his basically, uh, favorite pitcher to watch. And so, oh, and so, man, he's, uh, you know, compared him to Bob Gibson. We talked a little bit about that. I think you'll really enjoy it. Tell your dad too. I think you'll really enjoy the episode because, uh, Clark was, uh, very candid and uh, I'll tell you who else. David Faraday was extremely candid. We yeah. talked about his son dying. We talked about a lot of things. I don't know if you listened to the Faraday interview yet. No, I haven't, but I, I'm writing that down. Need to go listen to that. Yeah, i got to tell you another thing. Brett Hall has made eight hole-in-ones. Oh, wow. And I played a lot of golf with Holly. I did not know he had that many hole-in-ones. He's a yeah. really good player. But um, Hockey players yeah, tend, to so be, some... tend to be good. Yeah, right. Well, the, the hand-eye coordination's there, clearly. Yeah. And the, the lower body motion, you know, Eric, is so similar to the, the golf swing where you're clearing your hips and you're, mm-hmm. and you're doing that sort of stuff. And the hell, they're doing it on ice. I mean, golf might seem, that driving that ball might not seem too hard to those guys. Yeah, you know? right, right. Yeah. Um, okay, so you mentioned the, uh, the St. Louis Champions Tour event that's starting up this year. Is that something that... Yeah, it's called the... Oh, go ahead, sorry. Well, I was just going to say, is that something that you're going to be playing in, or have you taken a step back from Champions Tour events, or, or where are you at with all that? I ha- I have. I haven't played any competitive golf in probably three years, okay. and uh, um, I've had some physical ailments, I've had some surgeries, and it's just, my body just hasn't cooperated as much as I would have liked, mm-hmm. you know, to continue playing golf, but... Um, Ascension has hired me as a brand ambassador okay. and just an ambassador for the event. And they're going to give me an exemption. And so I'm, I'm definitely going to get to play. I'm just really excited about it. It's uh, yeah. If you would have told me that there was going to be a PGA Tour event on the course you grew up on, yeah, you know, before in your lifetime, I'd be like, come on, who's doing, you know, who's yeah. punking me? No, that doesn't seem like it's going to be true. Yeah. Yeah, that's got to be some. It's got to be a career highlight uh, in there to yeah, be able absolutely. to compete in front of your home fans and on a course you obviously love and doing the sport yep. you love and all that sort of stuff. That uh, absolutely, and Eric. You know, if you think of, I, I have one home 
uh, th- this truly will be a home game because it's at my hor- course, my home mm-hmm. course. But I had one event that I got to play in St. Louis. So the PGA Championship came here in 1992, and I was first alternate for the event, and I didn't get in. Oh, man. And that was in the day where they used to let, I don't know, 50 or 60 PGA of America you know, pros in. Mm-hmm. And so it wasn't as easy to get into the PGA as yeah. it is now. Um, but so I didn't get in there, but in 2013, there was the um, PGA uh, Senior Championship held at Bell Reef. Oh, yep. And so I did get to play with that, and so that, that was really fun, and my daughters were there. I have four daughters, and it was really special to get to play there. Um, yeah. and, and, you know, with them, with them in the house, it was great. Yeah, yeah, that's excellent. So when it comes to your uh, your radio show, you do a lot of interviews, but um, also talking about kind of what are the what are the I guess current events going on on the tour and uh, storylines and that sort of stuff. Um, is there something I guess in this next year of the PGA Tour, this next season, that you're really looking forward to seeing or to anticipating um, a, a storyline that you're looking forward to? It would have to be Tiger. It would have to be Tiger. Eric, I, this guy has proven me wrong on so many things that I've said so many times. I, I yeah. mean, I watched him try to swing like he when he was swinging when he couldn't move, and I'm like, he's got to be done. And then he comes back. His fourth back surgery, I've had back surgery, and it knocked me out for about three years when I turned 50. So I know this firsthand. When he came back from his fourth back surgery, he wound up with a, fu- a fusion. Mm-hmm. And that's basically called career ender for golf, yeah. for, for, for professional golf. Yeah. And he came back, and I'll never forget watching him swing at his own tournament, and I went, what happened? Yeah. He's not in pain anymore. He's yeah. moving. All of a sudden, his speed was back, and I went, oh, my gosh, he's got a chance. Yeah. And, I, and with my uh, with uh, Jay Delson Golf, I had was down at the Masters this year and had the privilege of watching that, and it was just spectacular. Yeah, I mean, it was just really something. Yeah. And um, uh, so I, I would have to be Tiger. It's also I also love watching these young kids making their mark on the game, mm-hmm. Eric. I I love watching the Matthew Wolfs of the world who doesn't yeah. they don't swing like everybody else, but. You know, if you look at a guy like Matthew Wolf, tell me he doesn't look like he could play shortstop or or, or maybe midfielder for an EPL team. Or he just looks like an absolute athlete yeah. that's playing golf. Yeah, and his speed, you know, would would say that's that's probably true because he just absolutely crushes the ball. And then mm-hmm. you've got um, uh, Colin Morikawa. You've got yeah. um, this young man from Chile, uh, Joaquin Neiman, is yeah. a Great young, raw, talented player. Yeah. Um, this, 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 um, the young Korean, um, uh, uh Sung J.M. Sung J.M., who just had a, thank you, I had a yeah. senior moment there for a minute, who just had a massive showing yeah. in the President's Cup. Oh, yeah. You know, this kid, this kid is, is there, there's just a great golf coming from all corners of the world. Yeah. Yeah. You know the 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 guy I'm really looking forward to, and I've loved watching. He just hasn't quite, in, I feel like, gotten up into that into that group yet. Is uh, Victor Hovland, um, who yeah. was who was Matthew Wolf's te- teammate. Um, we actually yeah. had Oklahoma State. Yeah, yep. we actually had their yep. coach on uh, earlier in the. We probably 
the third or fourth episode or something. Um, and man, just so much talent coming out of that, that school right now. So, um, yeah, there really is. I mean, think about, think about it this way. Most people don't understand this, but and there's another thing that I want to tell you about golf that I, I know most people don't know, but hmm. think about only having 125 jobs. Yeah. Okay. So there's only 125 jobs and compare that to any of the other sports. Yeah. And it's extremely low, right? right? And then also start thinking about all of the college kids, the next, the greatest, the strongest, the best 22 year old kids that are coming out every single year. So tech 30 or 40 more kids from all corners of the world, as we said, that are coming after you. It is, it is not an easy thing to keep your card on the PGA tour. Yeah. It never was easy, but it is way harder now, man. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's crazy. And it's, I, I always say to people that the, the average fan, I don't think really knows how good those guys actually are that they're, uh, if you're on the PGA tour, your skills are just mind blowing how good you are because I've played with some really great players, uh, who haven't even sniffed the PJ tour, you know, um, who just blow me out of the water. And, and that, I think that just speaks a lot to what you did in your career, what you were on for 20, 25 years on the PJ tour. That's, that's an incredible feat, uh, to be able to sustain for that long at that high level is, is super impressive. Um, the skill is just unbelievable. Well, you know, we, I, I, I look back on it now and I'm like, gosh, you know, I just really didn't appreciate how, how much I was improving each year, even though I might not have been moving up the money list, mm-hmm. you know, because just, just with the, with the young people that are coming in to supplant you or to try to, you know, to, to take your, take your job, if you're able to stay out there, it's a it's a nice accomplishment, you know. It takes a lot of it takes a lot of mental toughness too to, that I didn't really know that I had because I just I love the game, I love to compete, and it was just really I looked at it as it was really fun. Yeah. So I was just lucky. It's kind of ignorance is bliss, I think. Yeah. Yeah. It's awesome. <laughs> it's a it's a benefit of not being that smart. I think. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's great. That's great. Um, well, is there any way that that my audience can find you and connect with you, whether it's on social media and I mean we threw the podcast out that's uh golf with Jay Delsing, right? Is the podcast yeah, you just look it up that, on that, a... that's, Yeah, that's it's on podcast one, it's on my site, uh, uh jdelsinggolf.com. dot com. Um, okay. uh Twitter is at Jay Delsing. Okay. LinkedIn is it's just basically all at Jay Delsing. I have a, a couple of Facebook pages, Golf with Jay Delsing and Jay Delsing Golf. So okay. yeah, if anyone wanted to reach out or, or uh, yeah. touch base or whatever they uh, they like, I'm uh, at this part of my life. I'm just really about trying to grow the game and let people know one thing that's really cool, Eric. I don't know if you know this yeah. or not. You may your listeners may find this interesting. The okay. PGA Tour started broke away from the PGA of America in the middle 60s. Okay. Okay, so the PGA Tour and the PGA of America were one entity yeah. for years and years and years. And then they broke away. Arnold Palmer, Jack Nicholas, Sam Snead, all these guys decided we need to have our own mm-hmm. thing. Mm-hmm. We need to have our own entity. And so they broke away. And Dean Beeman was the first commissioner of the PGA Tour. But where I'm going with this is that since then, 
And so we're talking about the middle 60s. The PGA Tour has donated over $2 billion. We're approaching $3 billion now for local charities. So any event, so if you go to the Phoenix Open and you go and buy a shirt and you go buy a beer and you go, you know, do whatever you want to do out there, half of the money that you spend stays local in the valley out there. And yeah. that's the format that they use all across the country. And that amount of money, $3 billion, surpasses the NBA, MLB, um, and the NFL and the NHL combined. Wow. That's sort of money. that, and, and so golf is a fundraiser, and what golf does for communities, people really don't know it. And yeah. I like telling that song, singing that song, because it's not being told enough as far as I'm concerned. Yeah. And, you know, when I was playing, I didn't take a whole hell of a lot of it. Mm-hmm. But now that I get older and I'm, I'm doing charitable things and, and, and see how hard it is to raise money and stuff, I'm like, yeah. damn, that's yeah. a pretty cool thing. Yeah, that's, yeah. And especially because golf sometimes... I don't know. Sometimes it can get a bad rap for being a, you know, a, a more wealthy sport or a very exclusive sport. But when you look at that and say that it's it's a sport that gives back more than any other sport, that's that's pretty awesome. That's pretty huge. Um, well, and the funny thing is, Bud, the numbers they speak for themselves. And you know how today's society is. You guys can all look it up yourself, yourself. But it, it speaks for itself. It it, yeah. it, it you just don't you know. All of a sudden, have a have a child who needs to go to Arnold Palmer's Children's Hospital. Yeah, and 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 go. Wait a second. Look at the work these guys are doing. My family can't afford to pay for this, and he's going to get this. He or she's going to get this surgery anyway. And yeah. that's happening, man. Yeah. That's happening all over the place. Arnold Palmer. I had the pleasure of interviewing Arnold Palmer mm. uh, about about a month before he died. Wow. And if uh, if if he didn't look so bad. And I didn't love him so much, I'd probably display that video on social media. But he looked terrible. Yeah. And I had him, you know, he was, the word icon is not big enough for Arnold Palmer. Yeah. He just superseded everything. He was just the man. That's why the name The King is so appropriate for yeah. him, right? Yeah. But what, this man, Googling him and finding out about him, he started three children's hospitals. That's incredible. He's had, he's, he's had his hand in raising money through the game of golf, well over a billion dollars this guy's brought yeah. in. Yeah. One person. Yeah. And then That's... the effect that he had on the game and the things that he did, I mean, man, that yeah. is just uh, special. Yeah. And Jack Nichols isn't far behind. I mean, Jack oh, yeah. Nichols, his wife, Barbara, they just, they're, they're just incredible people, man. And mm-hmm. it just kicks me right back to being how lucky I am that I even got to know these people, play golf with them. And, yeah. Oh, man. Yeah. I've I've said this a couple times to uh in in the podcast before but there's a lot of amazing people in the world but I feel like there's an, a disproportionately high amount in the golf community. There just feels like there's those people like Arnold Palmer and and Jack Nicklaus and and the stuff that you're doing all concentrated in the game of golf and you, and yet a lot of times you don't hear about it like you said. It's it's not brought to the surface enough and so that's that's really cool that you bring that up and and let people know about it. Well, I, I'm I'm incredibly biased, like you are. I feel like the world yeah, of golf yeah. is just littered with all of these great, you know, humanitarians and people doing great stuff and things like that. But mm-hmm. you know, we're a little biased, and the, your your um, you know your listeners might be getting sick of me singing that song. But <laughs> I, I truly I, I truly do believe it. I'll tell you a fun 
Arnold Palmer story. I got to play golf with the King three days in a row okay. at Bay Hill. Wow. Not in the tournament. Yeah. Okay. And it yeah. was just the thrill of a lifetime for me. And on the third day, after the third day, there was a family that was having a cocktail party and we all got invited to it. And so, you know, it's, um, it, it's sport coats and that sort of thing, which, mm-hmm. uh, I didn't go to a whole hell of a lot of those like that, but I yeah. certainly had my sport coat on. And then when I walked into the, to the house, the, uh, there was a table there, and everybody's name was there to put their name tag on, and I noticed that Arnold wasn't there yet. Mm. And so I took his name tag and put it on my uh, my blazer, which was a you know probably a stupid move, but it was fun <laughs> because we had just played we had just played together, and and so I just couldn't wait for him yeah. to you know get in, and because uh, I knew he wasn't going to put it on anyway. Everybody knew who he was. Why yeah. the hell would Arnold yeah. Palmer have to put his name tag on? Yeah. You know. But Jay Delson sure as hell's got to put his name on. Yeah. So, uh, so I see him and I just kind of wander over to him and we're talking and he looks over and I see he notices it and uh, there's some people are there and then you know they kind of wander off a little bit and he says hey and I said hey Mr. Palmer and he says uh, he looks down his name tag and he goes what are you doing <laughs> and I said well you know after getting to play golf with you the last three days I just couldn't wait to go to a cocktail party as you yeah. <laughs> and he just laughed and grinned and gave me a, a big smile. And yeah. I, I took off. And, but, I mean, that, that's the kind of, I mean, that, that's the kind of person he was. You know, yeah. he had a great sense of humor. He's a fun-loving guy, loved life. And, man, if you asked him something, he was there for you. Yeah, yeah, that's crazy. That's awesome to hear. Yeah, that's um, kind of fun. Those are yeah. the kind of stories that we tell on the show. Yeah. Like, we're not a golf recap show, and we – we're just trying to talk about life on tour, talk about what's going on, talk about, you know, like one of the things we talked about is the Patrick Reed cheating thing. Yeah. I mean, look, yeah. you played a lot of golf. I played a lot of golf. I have never even come close to doing what Patrick Reed did twice. Yeah. He yeah. did it twice. It's yeah. just, you know, somewhere along the line, you know, you, we give the players the benefits of the doubt, but somewhere along the line, you have to go, dude, yeah. you cheated. Yeah. That... You just, you just. Plainly cheated, man. That was that was just a crazy story, and yeah, I I couldn't wrap my mind around that either. Just, and I think at the time he was leading the tournament, wasn't he? And he and then he ended up. He was right there. Yeah, yeah. you know. So and why... I was like, I am a, I'm a huge give the guy the benefit of the doubt, give the player the benefit of the doubt, yeah. all that stuff. And I looked at that, I'm like, wait a second. I had to watch it three or four times. I'm like, mm-hmm. there's nothing to say. Yeah, because he did it with his practice swing. There's nothing to say. Yep. Yep. And those, those guys, yeah. I mean, it, they know, they know what's going on with their club head. They're they're He's aware. So Eric, uh, when I was, when I was out on tour and I would get a new set of clubs, I'd take it to a certain guy and a certain, and he would, he would fix them for me because they come from the manufacturer. Mm-hmm. The lofts and lights weren't off. The waiting wasn't off and everything. Mm-hmm. And I remember specifically having trouble with this one forehand. Mm-hmm. And I, and I said, there is something wrong. And the guy goes, there's nothing wrong with this forehand. And I said, I'm telling you, there's something wrong with it. I don't know what it is. It doesn't feel right. It doesn't, you know, we didn't have all the crazy specifics yeah. that they have now. Yeah. And so he said, I've gone over this thing. And I said, I am telling you. So we went in and we tore this forearm apart. Yeah. And it was, oh man, it was like, um, there was some lead down the, sh- down the shaft. 
Okay. Because you can counterbalance back in the day when, when quality control wasn't very good, you can counterbalance a golf club by sticking wet down the other side of the shaft. Okay. Yeah. But what it does is it makes the overall weight of the club way off. Yeah. And so I said to him, this is, and so we did it, and he just laughed and he said, man, he goes, I thought you were nuts when you told me your driver was too heavy and I knew that it was only two points, you know, swing points yeah. off yeah. of what you wanted it. Yeah. And, he, and, he, and I said, well, what is that? How much does a swing, what's, you know, what's a swing weight weigh? What's one point of a swing weight weigh? He yeah. goes, one point of a swing weight is two $1 bills. Yo, geez. And wow. I said, man, that's crazy. I had no idea. All I can tell you is when I pick this thing up and I swing it, something's wrong with it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know? Yeah. And so we had some, some interesting discussions with stuff like that. And, uh, and guys on tour can get crazy about their equipment, man. Yeah, yeah. That's, I remember one time when we were at, I was a, I was an assistant at a club in Omaha and we had a, a boss who was, who was really sensitive about his clubs. And so we ripped his grip off and put a little sand down the shaft and, and, uh, you know, we kind of played with it a little bit and didn't think anything like you didn't think you could tell anything. And he went out and I remember watching him on the range, just shank everything. And he came back and was like, what did you do to this thing? You know, like it was just isn't that fun we used to do stuff like that to people too with the clubs and that's what it was back oh yeah. gosh yeah it, when you when you, you when you know your clubs you know when even the littlest thing but that's crazy that was only the weight of two dollar bills yeah it's really amazing i had no idea about that yeah yeah well um okay well i always like to finish off with one question uh the same question i always ask sure. the guests um what is your favorite golf course you've ever played hundred uh, percent Pebble Beach. Pebble Beach. Okay. You know, I got the. I had never played Pebble Beach until I was a pro, and I got the opportunity to play in the AT and T tournament twenty, twenty six or twenty seven years in a row. And when I got to play Pebble Beach, and you know, the the universe and God and the whole thing is the architect up there, man. It mm-hmm. is absolutely as gorgeous a place as you'll ever find. Yeah. And uh, yeah, and I played the U.S. Open there in ninety two and. Yeah, it's just spectacular. It's okay. just, you know, one of my, uh, there's, and I've been blessed, like, ridiculously on some of the courses I've played. I've played some of the best courses in the entire world, but yeah. I still, and I love the Monterey Peninsula, man. I love okay. Cypress Point is right up there and had a chance to play that a lot. And, yeah. Oh, just spectacular. That's awesome. That's that's one of my courses that I, I want to get to at some point in my lifetime. Haven't done it yet, but... It's yep. a bucket list course. So, sure, yeah, it's a, it's a, it's short nowadays with the driver and the golf ball with the substance because it's all going so far. But it's still spectacular, and you get to the 16th hole and it's still 240 yards long, and you still try to figure out how the hell am I going to do this? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's great. Well, uh, Jay, thank you so much for being on the show. I really appreciate you taking the time and sharing your stories, your experiences. It was, it was great to hear. Oh man, it's my it's my pleasure. And uh, you know, call me again. We'll do it again. We uh, we got lots in the hopper over here. Thanks for joining us today. Don't forget to subscribe and rate the Looper wherever you get your podcasts. You can also follow the show on Twitter and Instagram at Looper Podcast. Talk to you next time.